set on the living God, Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. You may be seated. Chapter 4, as we've looked at, Paul has uh, helped Timothy to understand that there is a false truth, there is error in teaching. And then he showed them what godliness is, what good is. We learned last week that there can be good and evil even within a church like Green Pines. That both coexist. As we've learned, there's both that coexist in our own hearts. What does it mean to have godliness in our heart, righteousness in our heart? I've been reminded that uh, there are always a battle within us between the good between the spirit of God and the evil, our own selfishness. And often the one that wins is the one that you nurture, the one that you feed. And so we talked last week about how we need to nurture ourselves in the words of faith and truth. A lot of it is tied to this passage right here where we see in verse 10. To this end we toil and strive. And he says this is a trustworthy and full, deserving of full acceptance to know that, that this saying is true. That we, we're toiling and striving because we have our hopes set on the living God who is the savior of all people. Especially of those who believe. What does it mean to have hope in a living God? Remember we're, we're listening as dying people. To have hope in a living God. Hope is the heartbeat of our life. Some of you have experienced sickness, physical sickness, in recent days. And often there is a condition right before the full-blown sickness, a malaise of, of just uh, physically. You're tired, weary. You don't have much energy. You can feel it coming on, that that if you ignore it, it, you will ignore it to your own harm. Because it's just these physical symptoms that are letting you know that sickness is coming. And so the best thing you can do sometimes is, is maybe just to rest. Take some vitamins or medicine, if you will. And, and, and just settle down because you know it's coming. Well, there is a spiritual malaise that can happen in our own life. When we find that there is a, a sluggishness. And spiritual lacks in our own life. And it's tied to our hope, our lack thereof. To know that I've started to hope in things outside of a living God. And when we start setting our mind and our expectations 
on that which is not a living God, then we take on the traits of whatever we're hoping in. And the fact is, if we're hoping in people, we're having a dying hope. If we're hoping in a substance, it has no life in itself, and so it's dead to begin with. And so I just want to present to you that the only one that we can find health in spiritually is having hope in a living God. Because He is the only one that will live forever, and everything else is dying. And your hope will look like that which you are hoping in. And so he says to Timothy, we have a living God. Hope in him. But you know, to have our hope set on the living God is not just wishful thinking. It's not just dreaming of God and, and, and positive thinking. To have your hope set on the living God means there's going to be implications in your life that you will endeavor to do. So if you have a hope in God, it's going to flesh out in your life. How do you know when someone has hope in a living God? Well, if you hope in UNC, or Duke, or NC State, I think that's all of them, right? That's all that matters. Um, it's going to be evident. It's going to be evident in maybe what we do when they're playing basketball it's going to be evident in maybe how we're watching basketball i was watching the other day and unc was losing and i thought well maybe i should change the channel and they were losing on that channel too so i turned it back and, and so we have all these these types of of actions that we do and it becomes evident what we hope in and for all of us we realize But what does it mean to have hope and a living God? If we hope in a sports team, we wear it. But what do we do? I mean, it's not found in whether or not you have a t-shirt that says God on it. That's not how we display hope. And as much as we might try, it's not evident in whether or not we have a bumper sticker on our car that talks about God or Christ. That's not how our hope is evident. And so as we read in this passage, he's talking to a young elder, a young minister in, in, in Timothy. And he's saying this is how it's evident. He says, I'm gonna, you're going to toil and you're going to strive based on your hope in a living God who is the Savior of all people. Which means that God, through Jesus Christ, has made provision for all people. But it's effective to those who believe in him. And so... Verse 11, command and teach these things. In other words, it's not just enough for you to read it and to understand it, but obey it. Command. I just want to challenge you. Don't settle for just hearing God's word. Do it. Do it. Be very intentional. Verse 12, he says, this is... The first way uh, of, of how you know that your hope is set on the living God. He says, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example. He says, your hope is evident in your speech, in your conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Your hope is not evident because of the number of years that you live. Joshua, 
you're celebrating your 20th birthday. Most of us would say, you're a young man. But as we read in this passage, it has nothing to do with your age. It has everything to do with your hope and how your hope is fleshed out. It's very likely that Timothy, at this point, was somewhere between the age of 30 and 35. And so it kind of gives you an idea when Paul says, you're youth. I'm now 38, so evidently I'm no longer a young man, according to Paul. Others of you would say, yes, you are. Others of you would say, you're an old man. Um, I've seen, and you've seen, people who've lived many years, but they are foolish. And it comes to their worship of God. And they have their hopes set on silly things. And then there are young men that have their hope set on God. And it makes a difference. It's not how many years you live that matters, but how you examine your years that matter. Live an examined life. You can live many years and never examine them. And you never learn. You can live 20 years of examined life submitted to God. And there can be great wisdom found in that. But how is this evident? It becomes evident in your speech and your conduct, your love, faith, purity. He marks five qualities. And so for those of you who might be considered young, pay attention to this passage. If you are an example in your speech, your conduct, your love, your faith, your purity, then you will stand out like a star because you are having your hope set on a living God. Now, why your speech? Well, Matthew chapter 12, verse 34 and 37, Jesus kind of records why that matters. He says, talking to religious people, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good Evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. I was thinking about that this week. I would say also, you will be given account for every careless word you type. They didn't have texting, online, emails back then. But it's still the same. Every careless word. For by your words, you'll be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. By your emails, by your texting, your online statuses, your letters you send out, your phone calls, the things we say, we will be justified or condemned. It's out of the treasures of your heart. And it's, it's interesting to me how people will say, you know, uh, folks will just say things online that they don't say in person. And I think it's probably true, but it doesn't mean it's not from their heart, is it? It's just that people feel more free to express their heart online and it becomes an ugly thing. What's ugly? Well, the heart is. The heart is. And in this ability to get to know more from one another and to 
hear ideas from one another. It comes also the sharing of bad ugliness of our heart. And so he says, set believers an example in your speech. Young people, understand that your speech reveals what's in your heart. And he says, set the believers an example in conduct. And so we have the first two very outward, observable things of how we act. Does how you act reflect that you have hope and a living God? What do you treasure? What do you get excited about in life? What makes you angry? What makes you cry? These things. Girls, you want to know a guy? Find out what makes him angry, what makes him cry, what makes him laugh. You have a pretty good window in the soul of that person when you can find those three things. Your conduct. But then he says, not just your outward behavior, but your inward qualities. Specifically, love, faith, and purity. We've already learned from the very beginning of this book that the aim of the charge is to love from a pure heart. And a good conscience and sincere faith. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 5. And so he says this is the aim of our charge. This is what matters. And so he says young men, young women, this is what matters. Faith, love, purity. Love, Jesus said, is the greatest thing we can do. And loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And these things wraps up the entirety of the law. To sacrifice your wants, your desires because of the needs of someone else. It is not an affection. It is not an emotion. It is not a feeling. It is a commitment that you make. It doesn't matter how old you are. You're able to love. Faith. Faithfulness is the idea here. It's not just faith in that you believe things, but a faithfulness is more of the the thought that people can count on you in your life. Impurity is regarding especially the, uh, the sexual lives of people, but to say that uh, there is some kind of connection between your physical behavior and your worship to God. In fact, Scripture goes on to say that what you do with your body uh, is what you're doing with God because God has made you a tabernacle, a temple for His Spirit to dwell in. And so it matters how you treat your body because it shows an attitude of how you're treating God. Joshua, doesn't matter how old you are. You can love. You can have faith. You can have purity. Your speech can be edifying. Your conduct can be well. And this all shows a living God that you're hoping in. Verse 13, he goes on, he says, well, what does it mean to have a hope in a living God? How do we do that together as a body? How do we do that? He's talking to an elder in Timothy. Uh, he says, well, verse 13, I'm going to tell you something else. He says, not only, not only do you do this by your lifestyle of, of setting an example, but verse 13, he says, be committed, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching." There is something valuable about listening to God's word. Uh, in this day and time, they didn't have what you've got. Uh, a written copy of the word of God. They, they would have things read 
And so it was one of the few times they could hear God's word was when they were able to read it together. You've got even a greater advantage that you've got a copy that you can take home with you. Read it. Be devoted to that. To exhortation, to teaching, to the explaining of God's word. Why? Because you have a living God and you're hoping it. And so you want to know more about this God. It's interesting how some folks say, well, you know, I have a problem reading and I have a problem memorizing. And, and I don't really, I, I, I have difficulty in, in understanding God's word. But some of these same people can give me stats and figures of baseball from 30, 40, 50 years ago. And they've got it down. How does that happen? Evidently, you care about baseball. So he says to Timothy, devote yourself to this, to the reading of God's word, the exhortation, to teaching. And with that, he says, do not neglect the gift you have. Evidently, there was a point in time, perhaps in, uh, in the church of Ephesus, where they set apart, set apart Timothy, and prophecies evidently was given to him, of which they set him apart as a leader. Notice that this was done in the church of Ephesus by the council of elders laid their hands on you. So this church in Ephesus had a plurality of people who were regarded as uh, overseers in this church. This is something I, I think that our church, we need to pray toward to, to fit some of the same model of not just Jared and, and Mike who have pastor titles, but perhaps a plurality of leaders, elders uh, that we see an example of right here uh, in verse 14 where, you know, have you ever heard someone say, you know, I really feel like I need to, I, I need to preach, I need a pastor, and you hear them teach God's word, and you're thinking, no, no, you, you don't need to do that. There, there is an inward call but there is also an outward verification of what God has done. And that happens to the church. All right, it's, it's just like American Idol. You see some of these people singing up, and they should not be singing in front of the mirror, you know. But here they are, somehow got a live stage national TV. And I'm thinking, wow, someone needs to affirm that they do not have that ability. All right? So... There's an example here in verse 14 of, of this happening in the church. At verse 15, living hope, or God, uh, hope in a living God. How is that evident? Practice these things, verse 15. Devote yourself to them so that all may see your progress. Devote yourself to them. Practice these things. What's he talking about? Well, he's talking about the, the, the faith. The love, the purity, the conduct. He's talking about nurturing yourself in godliness, as he has mentioned earlier. Devote yourself to these things. Let me ask you, what are you devoted yourself to? What are you devoted yourself to? Are you devoted, many of us are devoted to our jobs. Some of us are devoted to physical exercise. Some of us are devoted to eating. <laughs> All right. Um, some of us have our hobbies that we've devoted ourselves toward. It becomes evident, doesn't it? I mean, it's what we talk about. It's what we think about. It, and it's when our mind is in a, a neutral state or we're not preoccupied, we go back to that area, that hobby, that job perhaps. Um, what he's saying is devote yourself to God. 
a living God. Have hope so that all may see your progress. As you devote yourself to God, there will be an effect in your life. There will be progress. There will be a conforming to Christ's likeness. There will be a growing of your love for God. There will be a growing of your love for other people. There will be a growing dislike and even a hatred of sin. How is the progress coming? In verse 16, I'm just, I'm going to admit to you, this, this blew me up a little bit this week. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. This is a passage you don't hear a lot. And you read this and think, well, does this mean that if I don't continue, that I lose my salvation? I've taught before that as a church, we do not believe that you can lose your salvation. But we believe that what God is doing in your life, God will be faithful to complete it in your life. It is a work of God, not a work of man. That we're saved by the grace of God. And so you can't add to it works. So what is it being said? Well, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Remember that says, For by grace you're saved through faith, that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And so that is good news for me. I'm dying, you're dying, and I need to know that there is salvation by God's grace. That it's just saying, God... You know I'm messed up. You know I'm a sinner. And God, will you just forgive me? I need your mercy that God extends that to me. But you know what verse 10 says? For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that which God prepared for beforehand that we should walk in them. I am saved by God's grace through faith so that I can be God's work. His craftsmanship. That I can walk in good works. Understand, God didn't save you by His grace so that you can walk in sin. We don't tell ourselves, it's okay for me to sin. God's going to forgive me. But instead, we understand that God has saved us so that we can walk in God's work. So what does that mean? Well, when we look here at this passage, when God is at working in us, then we are going to continue in the teachings of God. We're going to continue in that. There is something to the fact that when God saves your life, you want to be with God's people. You want to hear God's word. You want it explained to you. You want to know it. You want to apply it. When there are folks who say, I'm saved by God's grace, but I don't really care about being with God's people, it betrays, reveals, that there is not a saving work done in their life. Now, here's the thing that gets me. If 
as a pastor and you as teachers, as ministers, if I am saved by God's work, then there is going to be a pursuit of holiness in my life. There is going to be a guarding of my mind, a guarding of my heart. If I don't guard my heart and my mind, Not only is my soul in danger, people who listen to me are in danger. Are you listening to me? (laughs) And I just felt the weight of God's work through me. That's why I want to teach the Bible. Not my opinion. And I have done that. I've been very careful throughout the years here to preach the Bible. But here's also something I feel like I need to confess. It is not enough for me to preach God's word and to teach it, not my opinions. I need also to preach with God's spirit filling my life and anointing this work. I can preach to you the word of God, but I need the spirit of God to bring life to it. And as I look at this and read this and I examine my heart, I know there have been times throughout these years that I have not done that. And I feel the weight of that. Of people who need to hear God's word. Maybe they hear God's word and God may honor his word, but there's no spirit in me. That I'm being filled with the spirit or that he's anointing for this task. I need to confess that before you. That is wrong. And as I read Ephesians 5.18, it is as wrong as if I came up here drunk. Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask that you forgive me. As I examine my life, there's been too many times that I taught the Word of God, but not anointed by God's Spirit. And the weight of that is serious. As I read this, persistence, For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And and the the task of that is to understand that if I'm not being filled with the Spirit, I am susceptible to demonizing influences. My own flesh is a powerful thing that can take me down all grades of roads of hypocrisy. I know that. I'm aware of that. And the danger of this is I can present this, hear it, and everything is good. Preaching the Bible. But God knows my heart. And that's why I need to confess that to you. And ask for forgiveness. And that's why I'm praying and have been praying, God, use it. Use it. Pray for any pastor that they would be pursuing holiness. 
fact of the matter is, if I fall in my heart, in my life, I'm not the only one going down. And the going down means betraying my faith, betraying my Christ, making evident that I never was saved. For those of you who find themselves in perpetual sin, especially of of purity, impurity in your own heart and mind, here's the danger. You think, well, God will forgive, and He does. And He will give you mercy. But if we find ourselves in perpetual impurity in our life, it makes evident, perhaps, that we're not saved. And the question is, are you saved? Saved people will repent of lust, pornography, lying, slandering, gossiping, pride. That's what saved people do. People who are not saved will gloss over it, belittle it, will cover it. And this is a word saying to you, if you do not practice devotion to God, if you're not keeping close watch on yourself, you may find yourself lost. If you are a father, a leader in your home, verse 16 applies to you. Dear Father, dear husband, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Are you teaching in your family? Yes, you are. It's the best. What are you teaching from your life, intentionally or unintentionally? You're teaching something. But if you're not keeping watch that you're teaching the gospel and teaching faith, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Father, husband, you have on your hands your wife and your children. Keep a close watch on yourself and your teaching. Are you devoted to the things of God? Sunday school teacher, keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. For if we will live the gospel, if we let it flesh out in our life, if we will teach the gospel, it can save the people around you. Be living testimonies of the gospel. You feel the weight of this? Romans 8.13, Paul says, If you live according to flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. In other words, if you take heed to yourself, you will save yourself, as Paul says here. Being filled with the Spirit, dear believer, 
is evidence of salvation. Evidence of salvation. Being filled with the Spirit is to submit your body to be used by God's Spirit. But the body doesn't belong to you. It is the Spirit's body. To be filled with the Spirit is to yield to Him all of your desires. It is to say, I am satisfied with only the Spirit of God. I am content with Him. He is filling my life. It is something we do every day as evidence that the Spirit of God is in our life. He is living. I think that sometimes we don't speak right. We don't conduct ourselves right. Or perhaps we don't have faithfulness or purity or love. Is because sometimes we don't really believe that God is alive and that he sees us. Just that thought. Do you believe that God is alive and sees you? He sees your speech. Just because you delete something on your computer doesn't mean that God didn't see it. He's a living God. And to hope in a living God means to say, God, you are alive in my life. And I know I'm dying, but praise you because you don't die. And though this body may die, you will cease to use it. I will be in your presence and I will live for that end. So even though my body grows weak and I'm a dying My outer man may grow weaker and weaker, but my inner person can grow stronger and stronger because every day I'm being nurtured by a living God. It is to continually go back to God and say, God, I want to hear from you. I want to share my life with you. I submit to you. And you grow in listening to him. And love and faith and purity. Your heart gets enraptured by who God is. And guess what? That's going to flow out into your speech and in your conduct. And here's the beautiful thing. You don't have to be 80. You can be 30. You can be 20. You can be 13. And examine life before God. To say that as a 10-year-old, I'm going to hope in a living God. And as a 80-year-old, I'm going to hope in a living God. Practice this. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask that every single person here, every dying ear will listen to a living God and go to God for mercy for grace and to say I want to hope in you and simply pray before God God show me what it means to hope 
in you. Father, husband, I want to encourage you. Examine yourself. Keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Perhaps you might need to do what I just did here. And to say to your family, I'm sorry. I now see I'm not presenting the gospel to you. I've been teaching, but I'm not teaching the gospel. And as a father and as a husband, to say, God, live in me. I want to be your vessel. I want to hope in you. Let's pray.